Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. Welcome, welcome to your next president, part two. If you were not here last week, I would encourage you to go watch or go get a free CD in the back. Um, somebody, I, I think, was, was asking earlier this morning, like, what is this series all about? Are we getting political as a church? Are we gonna, is Todd going to talk about who we ought to vote for? No, I will not tell you who to vote for. There's these funny lines. I don't know if you know this or not, but as a church organization, you end up filing with the, the Secretary of State, and you end up with a 501c3, blah, 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 blah. And there's these things that says you can't get up and endorse and do all this, and I've never done that and don't plan on doing it today. And so I just want you to know that, that I, although I enjoy riding the line with confrontational and controversial issues, I enjoy that, just so you know. I, I, like, it's, it's fun to me. Because I like messing with people. And so, um, so I don't know that I'm even doing that in this series. So you're fine. You're safe. I promise. And so if, if you're in here today and you start listening to my sermon and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I can see where he's going. He's totally a Republican. I can tell. Or I start, because more than likely, if you're a Republican in here, at some point you'll think I'm for the Democrats. At some point you'll be convinced that I am. And then if you're, if you're the other way, you'll be convinced that I'm for the, the other team. Okay. I'm not for a team. I'm a kingdom guy, so this is what you need to know. My citizenship, above and beyond the United States of America, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God, and that's why we go to the Bible, because what we wanted to answer in this series was this. What would the Bible actually have to say towards leadership? What would the Bible have to say towards a president? And, and funny enough, you, you, you might look over this pretty quickly when you read the Bible, but there's actually a lot being said. There are all kinds of different kings and governors and pharaohs and different people, prime ministers, and there are people at work and government type levels, and there's this leadership dynamic all throughout the Bible. And so the question we wanted to ask ourselves was, is if, if some of these great men and women had the opportunity to give their advice and give their opinion to our future president, what would they say? Because many of you already do that anyway, right? You're watching the, uh, the debates, you're watching somebody give a news conference or give a speech, and then like you, you'll pause it, and then you'll turn to your spouse and be like, well, you know what he ought to do, and what they ought to do is, does anybody do that? You take a moment, because you have opinions, you're opinionated, and you've got your thoughts, but you know, I don't know that our opinions are always the best, but what if some of these people in the Bible actually got to share their opinion? And so if you were here last week, Daniel is an advisor to the king and the king's grandson and the future king, and he drops this incredible principle, this incredible truth, and he, and he summarizes it in this one statement. He says this, he says, so that everyone would know, so that you would know, so that you'll remember that the most high God rules and is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. And I don't even have time to explain what that means, but it's dope. So go get the CD. And so today we will look at, at, at probably a book of the Bible that some of you are not familiar with. And, and we're going to look at something that you and I deal with all the time. I guarantee you, how many of you have ever had a job? Raise your hand. You got a job? Had a job? How many had a parent, a coach, a teacher, person? Here's what I know about you. You, we live in a, in a structure where there are people in positions of authority, right? They have titles, they have positions, many times they hold a paycheck over your head, and, and they have these titles. And at some point in your journey through life, you have been underneath one of these leaders that in your mind was a bonehead. 
In your mind, he didn't have a clue. In your mind, he was a bad leader. In your mind, you're like, how did he ever get this job? And, 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 and this is the one we'll really talk about today, is you've probably been underneath a boss or a leader or a coach or maybe even a parent who had something in them that they lacked that rubbed you the wrong way. And what they lacked was this, is that there was something in their life where there was duplicity. There was something about their life that although they said do this, they actually did something else. And they just, that, and, and you know, I had one of these. I remember when I first started out in, in ministry, I had this guy that was kind of over me and I, I just didn't trust him and he just seemed kind of shady and I always thought, this guy's working an angle. He's always working his own kind of personal agenda. And, and something in me never will, really wanted to trust him. Do you know what I'm talking about? You kind of look at him with suspicion all the time. Whenever he tells you to do something, you're like, but what has he got to gain out of this? What angle is he working this time? And you're just, I talked to a woman just a couple of days ago and she was upset. And the reason why she was upset was because she kind of got um, reprimanded for something that she was doing and it didn't follow the procedures that they wanted her to do in this specific company and industry and whatever. And, and here's the funny thing. The person that taught her to do it that way had just gotten a promotion. And so it was like, wait a minute, I'm getting in trouble for doing this, but the same guy that taught me how to do this is the guy getting promoted. And the only reason he gets promoted is because he happens to be workout buddies with the boss. Wait a minute. You ever been there before? Okay, so we're, we're on the same page. And here's what they lack. When they lack that, that thing, that integrity, that character, that honesty, that, that, that thing where they continuously just show up and do the right thing simply because it's the right, the right thing, they, what they lack is something that we wouldn't probably use in everyday language, but what they lack is moral authority. Because what they have is they have a title, right? They have a position. And if they hold a paycheck over you, it's, it's, you can really get up on your nerves. And so... They have this positional authority, but they don't have moral authority. And positional, now, now this is what I know generally about you. If they have positional authority, you'll still do what they told you to do, right? Because you got to, or you're not going to have a paycheck. Or, you know, you, you, so you're just going to do it simply because they said to, but you'll do it somewhat even begrudgingly. But people that have moral authority have something different. They just don't have authority over you. They actually have influence over you. And these are the people that you look at and you're like, man, I really admire this woman or I admire this man. And this. It, it, it just seems like their life lines up with, with their words. They're, they're actually living out what they talk about. They tow, they tow the party line and they speak the party line and they're just all consistent right down the line. You know what you're going to get out of them because they are a person of their word and they're a person of integrity. And generally, this is what I found, is that in our political leaders, at any given point in time, you know this, that like half the country typically disagrees with the president, right? So at any given time, you're, you, you, it's a 50-50 chance. It's a coin flip chance that you may like or dislike, agree with or disagree with whoever's leading the country. But here's what we all want, even if we disagree with them. We at least want them to do what they said they were going to do. We actually want them to follow through on what they said they believed in. Even if we disagree with their method or plan, we at least want them to believe in their method and plan, right? We want them to follow through on what they said they believe because there's nothing worse than the person that gets up and campaigns and promises, 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 but then gets up and does something completely different. And generally speaking, Americans, when we look at two different groups of leaders, political leaders and religious leaders, religious leaders because they kind of get in front of people and they hold the God book and they speak on behalf of God, we expect them 
who have moral authority. And when they don't, we don't follow and we don't trust. But so we get to choose. We can just go to a different church, right? But with political leaders, we feel that way because we're like, no, 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 no. You campaigned. You made promises and we voted, right? Like your boss at work, you probably didn't vote your boss in. It just is what it is. But with our religious leaders and our political leaders, we have this really, really high expectancy that they ought to be men and women of character integrity, something that where they have moral authority. Are you with me? Just nod your head and smile. You're with me. Okay, good. So this is where I want to go today and introduce to you a person named Nehemiah. Everybody say Nehemiah. Nehemiah gets his own book, by the way. So that's how cool you are when you're that good of a dude and you're that awesome. You get your own book of the Bible. Nehemiah lived in an area of the world called Persia. Now, if you were with me last week, you know this, that Israel got their own land, the promised land. They lived there, but eventually they were sinful and rebellious and disobedient and idolatrous. And God said, look, y'all need to repent and stop acting crazy. And if y'all don't, I'm going to pull my hands back, and then whatever happens, happens. And so that's what they did. And so these, these surrounding nations and empires invaded Israel. And the, 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 basically the way it went down was is that the empire of Babylon invaded Jerusalem, tore down the city walls, tore down the temple, took everybody captive in slavery, and took some of the best people back to the capital city. That's what we talked about Daniel last week. And they lived there until eventually the Babylonian empire was overthrown by the Persian empire. This is where Cyrus overthrows Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. After Cyrus, you have a guy named Xerxes, and then his grandsons, Artaxerxes, and you got this family line of these Persian kings. Well, here's the deal. It's the Persian kings that decided they would eventually let the Jews go back home. And this is where this story is taking place. So Nehemiah actually is the cupbearer to the king, which was a really, really big deal because Two reasons. Number one, it was literally like you were the cup guy. And so before, you know, the king drank wine, you... I'm not dead. Here we go. And, you sit, and you'd eat. And you're like, no, I'm not dead. And, you know, that's, that's just kind of your job was. But historians say that this job was more than just simply drinking wine and passing it along. That to be in this job, you were actually considered a part of his advisory board. And that's kind of the place that Nehemiah sits. And so he's sitting on this advisory board to this king. It's about 444 B.C. And here's the deal. Eventually, Nehemiah has a dream. He's heard of Jerusalem and how the city has no walls and how the city's been torn down and the city is in desolation. And he literally sits down and cries and he's upset. And the king's like, hey, man, what's wrong? You're sad. And he goes and he's got the gumption and the guts to say, king, here's what I really want to do. I want to go back to Jerusalem. And I want to rebuild the city. And the king's like, good, because the king thinks it's good for the kings or the kingdoms underneath him to actually prosper, right? Because then he basically says, Nehemiah, I'm going to let you go back because I want you to rebuild it because I want them to thrive as a people group so that I can tax them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's, there's an agenda there. But the point is this, is that, that, is that this king says to Nehemiah, sure, go back. Let's rebuild. As a matter of fact, he says, here's papers from the countries you're going to have to travel through. By the way, when you stop here, these guys have great wood. They'll provide you with the wood so that you can rebuild the walls. It's this incredible story, which is actually prophesied about hundreds of years prior. It's a cool story. Not the main story. It's a cool story. Okay, here's what happens though. He gets back and when he finds Jerusalem, it is in a total wreck. It is in a total mess and they have two major problems. The first problem is this, is that the surrounding kingdoms don't want the Jews to get back on the map because they'll, they'll just see them as competition and so they kind of actually 
do everything they can to thwart these plans. I mean, they send guys and send armies. And so, as a matter of fact, there's one point during the story of Nehemiah where it says they literally had a tool in one hand and a sword in the other because they were having to fight off these bad guys while they rebuilt the wall. And so Nehemiah goes back though and he evaluates the situation and he's been given papers from the king that he now is the new governor over Jerusalem. And he says, hey guys, this is the deal. This is my campaign. We are going to rebuild the wall. And they have this incredible campaign where they actually rebuild the entire wall over the city, around the city of Jerusalem in like 55 days. It's incredible what they accomplished, but that's not, that's not even the main point. The second issue that he ran into was not just the bad people outside of the walls. It was actually the bad people inside of the walls. Because what he ran into was this. There were these people left behind called nobles. And what they were is they were kind of the richer people. And what they started doing was they took this, this messed up economy, terrible economy. And then they saw these people that were trying to get by and farm and put their lives back together. And so they would loan people money with crazy high interest rates. Well, when they start doing that, then what they do is, is that eventually people can't pay. And when people can't pay back then, you can't file bankruptcy, right? And so what you have to do is you have to start giving up stuff. So the people that had land, then they can't pay the interest for the money that they borrowed. They have to give up their land just to pay off the debt that they owed. And then the, what the, 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 basically the loaners would say, okay, well here, I've got, by the way, I've got this land. I'll pay you to work it. But then they own the grain. So they jack up the price of the grain so that the people working, do you see how corrupt the system is? So, because now I've lost my land, I've got to work the land for, for, to, to make it. But now I've got to buy grain from my abusive landowner and he's jacking up the prices. So literally by, by the second cycle of debt comes around, I can't now pay for the grain or the debt that I owe. And I'm having to give up my children into basically bond servanthood or slavery. And Nehemiah shows up. Now, Nehemiah had never been to Jerusalem before. You got to remember, the people had been in Babylon for, for multiple generations now. Nehemiah had never been there, but he had this dream. See, back in Babylon, they used to sing a song. I don't know if you've ever heard this. By the rivers of Babylon, where we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. They were singing these songs back in Babylon about the good old days and how like how Zion was Jerusalem and that they wanted to rebuild it and God was gonna bring us all back together. And so Nehemiah's like, yeah, we're gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. And he shows up to this and he is furious. He's livid. He is so angry because it was against the Jewish law for you to loan money to your own fellow Jews with interest. I don't know if you know that. That was an Old Testament Levitical law that you could loan them money, but you couldn't charge them interest because the point was never for you to succeed and, and basically you to fail. It was for the nation to succeed, to give glory and honor to God. So it was never about me trying to get mine to basically the, the detriment of you. We all wanted to succeed for God's glory and God's kingdom because we're God's people. And so these people had abandoned that. And so they're charging their own fellow Jews high interest, then high grain, until the point. Now, this is what Nehemiah does. When he shows up, he's got money of his own, and he's got money from the king. And he literally starts buying these people out of slavery from the Gentiles, the surrounding kingdoms, so they can repopulate Jerusalem. But then he runs into the own, their, their, his own people, the Jews, enslaving their own. And this is, this is where we begin. Are you ready? And that's just the beginning. That's just the context. Isn't that a cool story? And we're not even going yet. All right, let's go. All right, so Nehemiah chapter five says this. When I heard their outcry, the people who were being enslaved, and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, 
You are charging your own people interest? So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, as far as possible, we have bought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. And now you are selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us? They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. So I continued, what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain, but let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses, and, and, and the interest you are charging them, 1% of the money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. And you know what they said? We'll give it back. And we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. This is how you know this is just a Bible story and it's not true, right? Because who would ever do that? Like, this is the story. Like, imagine, imagine like President Obama going to like, you know, oil industry or the medical industry or Wall Street or whatever bad guys you think are out there that are corrupt and taking advantage of people and all these different industries. And, and imagine Obama just saying, hey guys, what you're doing is wrong. Stop it. Give it back. And they say, you know what? You're right. You're totally right. We were wrong. My bad. We're going to give it all back. Would you believe that story? No. Because you'd have, you, no lawyers could be invited, okay? You, you, ain't, you ain't coming. And so, you, you, I mean, like, now let me, tell you, let me tell you what he does next. What he does next is interesting. So they say, we'll give it back. Then I summoned the priest and the nobles and officials to take an oath to do what they had promised. Now, here's what that means. When you tell me that you're gonna do something and I think you're a liar, <laughs> what I do then is I bring God in on you, Okay? Because if you just give me your word, basically this is what Nehemiah was saying. I don't even believe you. You're a bunch of liars. You're a bunch of crooks and thieves and you're not even good people. I think you're a liar. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna bring in the pastor and you're gonna look the pastor in the eye and you're gonna tell him and you're gonna, pro I'm gonna bring God in on this and I'm gonna ask God to curse you if you don't. And so that, you, you know, it's like you built, you, you brought God into the scenario now. Now it wasn't just a political thing. It was bringing God in on it. And then watch this. He goes, I also shook out the folds of my robe and said, in this way, may God shake out of their house and possessions. Anyone who does not keep his promise, so may such a person be shaken out and emptied. Now, like, this was like this big, huge, like, public gesture, right? Like, like, to you, you're like, this is dumb. Why is he even wearing a robe? People don't wear robes. And so, that's what you're thinking. But why would he take off his robe? And so, this is this big public gesture to say, look, I'm take off my robe. And that's what God's going to do to you. God's going to shake you out if you don't keep your promise. And that was this big gesture that he made. And that's what this whole thing was really all about, was him trying to get Jerusalem back on the map, trying to rebuild the city, put the city back together, let the city be the light of the world, to get God's people, to get the temple back in business, to start honoring God and making sacrifices. And eventually when he gets this thing rolling, he gets the words of God and begins to read the words of God in the public square to get the people to buy back into following the ways of God. It's this incredible story. But I want you to see that it started here with him addressing these nobles to say, hey, look, you can't recognize the economy. You can't have it to where you're driving these people into slavery and taking advantage of the people. This has got to stop. So he says this, and this the whole assembly said, amen. 
And they praised the Lord. And the people did as they promised. So they actually did it. And you have to ask yourself, why? These people, now, now I'm assuming that Nehemiah could have said, look, I'm the governor and I've got papers from the king of Persia. And if you don't, I'm gonna kill you, I'm gonna imprison you. But he doesn't do any of that. Do you notice that he doesn't fall back on his positional authority? Now, now just as a little side nugget here. Positional authority means I'm over you simply because I have a title and my title's bigger than your title, so I rule, right? Just so you know, positional leadership is the lowest form of leadership, okay? It's really not leadership. It's just authority over a thing. Does that make sense? And, and you know what I'm talking about. You, you maybe have people over you that you don't respect them, you don't like them. They're not even all that smart, but you have to do what they say simply because they have a title. And no matter what they really say, you might follow through, but they have no real influence over you. And it's because all they have is positional authority. That's not what leadership is. Leadership is when I have enough moral authority that you actually respect me and trust me. And you know that I'll do what I said I was going to do. And you know I'll follow through on it. And you know I'm a man of my word or a woman of integrity. And that's what, that's how you actually gain influence with people. And that's what Nehemiah had when he stood up to these people. Because what we don't know yet is, is that all that he had done leading up to this moment Listen to this. Next verse. This is all one continuous flow. Verse 14. Moreover, from the 20th year of King Adarxerxes, we're guessing there a little bit, when I was appointed to be the governor in the land of Judah until his 32nd year, so you can see it's a 12-year period, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to me as the governor. But the earlier governors, those preceding me, the guys that were here running the show before I got here, they placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. Their assistants also lorded it over the people. But out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Basically, he was saying is this, is you've had governors before and they roll in and they got their little posse and they got their entourage. And a governor in that time period, when you've got papers from the king, you can do whatever you want. Why? Because Persia's backing you. You've got the authority and the power of the Persian Empire backing you. They just got to do what you say just because you have a title and a position. But Nehemiah said, I didn't come in and start floating that. What I actually came in and did was I started making these sacrifices. And I said, you know what? As a governor, I'm supposed to, or I'm allotted, or I'm, I'm allowed to take this and this and this. And I didn't. Watch this. Keep reading. Instead, I devoted myself to the work of this wall. Remember what was his campaign? We're going to rebuild the wall. What did I do? I was on the wall. All my men were assembled there for the work and they, we did not acquire any land. So this is huge. You need to, you need to see how big this is. When you're governor and you've got the papers, you can roll in and say, Hey, look, I'm going to go ahead and take this lot and this lot. and I'm going to do this and this and this. And then think about this too. When you're the governor and you know that you're going to rebuild the city and you're going to make it thrive again, what happens to the value of the land when a land goes from like a desolate city to a thriving city? Value goes up. So he could have literally gone in and bought up the premium lots of land, made the city great again, and then sat back and started selling this high-priced real estate. And he said, look, I had the right to buy any land I wanted, and I specifically chose not to. And here's why. Because I didn't want anyone to ever look at me and question my integrity, and to question my motives, and to think for one minute that maybe I was just rebuilding the city because I would eventually profit, and maybe I just wanted to rebuild the wall, and maybe I wanted the economy to work, and, I, and, and all you guys got to give all your stuff back. You got to give them all the land back and give them back their interest, but me, 
I'm going to get mine. And I didn't want anybody to ever look at me and question my motives as to what I was really all about. Let's keep reading. Furthermore, meaning I got more moral authority to back me up here. Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table, as well as those who came from the surrounding nations. Each day, one ox, six choice sheep, and some poultry were prepared for me. And every 10 days, an abundant supply of wine of all kinds. In spite of all this, I never demanded the food. And this is what he's saying here. Look, I had, I had a cabinet. You know, I had some employees And I paid for it all on my own dime out of my own pocket. I could have charged it on the account, the governor's account, had to tax the people on it, but I paid for it out of my own account. And not just me, but the whole staff was coming off of my dime. So in spite of this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor because the demands were heavy on these people. And then look how he finishes up. Remember me with favor, my God, for for all I have done for these people. Do you see it now? See, when you get up and you say, you know what, I didn't take any land and I could have taken whatever land I wanted. I didn't even take my normal stipend and I wasn't running up the charge and I wasn't running up the bill and I wasn't putting new taxes on people. As a matter of fact, I didn't take any of that and I used my own money to buy Jews out of Gentile slavery. Then I used my own money to pay for all of my own stuff. And then you know what too, on top of that, you know where I was at all the time for 55 days straight? I'm up on that wall so that you might know that when I say this is what we're about and this is what we believe and this is what we're gonna accomplish, you can know that I actually am smoking what I'm selling. I am a true believer in everything that I'm telling you. This isn't something that just sounds good and a stump speech because I think I can get this group to vote for me. It is something because I believe it with all my heart and with all my heart, I will see it done. That's moral authority. And when you get up with that type of authority and you look at a bunch of rich people that are taking advantage of poor people and you're like, oh, we're not, we're, no, we're not gonna do this. Why would they even obey? Why would they listen? Why would they go with what he said? Because he had such incredible moral authority. They knew he had no hidden and secret agenda that you could actually trust what he was saying and what he was actually all about. Because here's, here's what we kind of learn is that a title, a position, will give you the ability to rule over another person in authority, right? But that doesn't mean that you actually get influence with anybody. And, and what you really want is you want to generate this moral authority so that one day people will follow you, not simply because you have a title, but because they admire you, they trust you, they believe in you. They might not even believe that, that this is the best way to do it, but they at least believe that you believe this is the best way to go about doing it. And that's kind of what we expect out of our political leaders. And we want somebody to give them and say, look, this is what I'm really all about. And I'm not just catering to these interest groups and these people groups. And these, this is what I believe, not what would be best for me or just my little group, but this is what would be best for the entire nation. And that's what leadership is. And that's where this influence comes from. It's from moral authority. Three keys to moral authority, if you're taking notes. Three big, huge things. Number one is this, is it's gotta be character. This is what we're looking for out of every leader. And here's what you need to know. I'm not just talking about religious leaders and I'm not just talking about political leaders. I'm talking about you. Those of you who are managers, those of you who are business owners, those of you that are moms, that are dads, you have titles of authority and I don't care. What I want you to have is moral authority. I want you to have more than just boss or manager over your desk, over your, your, your door. I want you to have more than, because as, 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 as parents sometimes, you're like, because I said so. Because I have a wooden spoon and a timeout chair, bless God. Okay? 
I, 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 no, no, listen, that, that's fine. Sometimes you have to leverage that. I don't take that away from you. <laughs> sometimes you need to. I, I don't, anyway, y'all read into that one a little bit. But what I want you to have above all, because some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you grew up in a home with a dad who said one thing, but did another thing. Who told you to live a certain way, but he lived a different way. Or he told you to act like this, but he treated mom like this, or she treated dad like this. Or on their own time, they were running around doing these things. And you saw the duplicity. As a matter of fact, the story of of Karl Marx, who's the author of of basically communism, the story is is that his dad was Jewish, but when they moved into a new town that didn't have a Jewish synagogue, he he basically transferred their membership into the Methodist church, I believe it was, and when he asked his dad, why? We're Jewish. We're kosher. What about the synagogue? He goes, well, hey, this would be better for business. And from that point forward, he's like, this is a sham. Who even cares? Like this is, now, because this is what I want you to have. I want you to have moral authority because you have character. And character is this. It is your ability to do what is right simply because it is right, regardless of the circumstances, because sometimes it will cost you to have character. Sometimes it will cost you money. Sometimes it will cost you time. Sometimes it will cost you relationships. But doing the right thing as God defines right, simply because it is right, that's what character is. And when you have that, I'm telling you what, You start living like that, you'll eventually have moral authority. Number two is this, is not only character, but sacrifice. Like think about what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah had incredible sacrifice to back him up because sacrifice is the real deal proof. It really is. When you start sacrificing, especially money, to say, hey, look, I don't have an agenda. I don't have a hidden cause. I want you to know I'm the real deal. As a matter of fact, I ran into a pastor that was like this years ago. I met this pastor and he had this story that just stood out to me. And he was explaining the story of his church and how the church had like 400 acres worth of property. I'm like, dear Lord, that's a lot. Why do you have that much land? And I'm asking him, he wasn't trying to showboat or tell me the story. He goes, well, he goes, basically this land came up for sale and a guy brought it to me to see if I wanted to buy it. But I realized that this land was going to be so high in value in the next 10 to 15 years to come. I thought I can buy it personally, but it would be better for the church to buy it because then the church is going to thrive in light of all of that. And so I decided, you know, we'll have the church buy it and instead of me buying it. And now the church sits on 400 acres and they were literally, it was right next to a major highway just outside the city. They were building basically an exit ramp right into this property, right next to where the church was. And the value was just skyrocketing all this land, all this property. I'm sitting here thinking, this is a guy that you could trust. Because in the moment that he could have made a whole lot of money for his own personal gain, he actually said, you know what? But I thought it'd be better for the church to have all this land and eventually have all this wealth and all this value. And the church is still to this day thriving. And this guy led with moral authority because you knew he had the character and he was willing to make sacrifice for it. And then thirdly, this is huge too, time. Like, don't discount that this thing takes a while to earn. Nehemiah sat on that wall for 55 days. It wasn't like I went out there, because you know, some leaders do this, they'll go out and be like, well, I did work on the wall for the first three days, but then the next 52, I kind of let everybody else do it, right? No, no, he was on the wall every single day. He was doing this thing for 12 years. He was the governor before he went back to Persia. For 12 years, he took these major sacrifices. And this is what you need to know, is that a great reputation takes time to earn, so if, if all of a sudden, this is what people do sometimes, they come to church and they have a God moment, which is great, that's what I want you to have, and then you walk out of here and you're like, I'm different, I'm changed, but like yesterday you were a complete heathen, 
And then now, because you've been really, really good for three days, you want to sit here and tell everybody else what they ought to do, ought not to do, and get up on a high horse and convince everybody that you are, whoa, 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 whoa. Earn that, please. Build a reputation. Don't take your three days of following Jesus and then start judging everybody else. I love you. Stop it. The funny thing about time is not only does it take a long time to earn that reputation, but you need to be very careful because you could have earned it over the course of years and you can lose it in one moment. One bad decision, one moment of indiscretion, one, I'm telling you what, you could have earned it for months and months and years and years and years and you do just one big mess up and you could have gone all the way back to square zero and then you gotta start over. And I know what your tendency is. Your tendency is to get mad and to blame and be like, well, you ought to, that was just one time. Hey, that's just the way the world works and you need to know that, that if you really want to have not a title, not a position, not just having authority over somebody because you own their paycheck, but something deeper than that. Something called moral authority. Hey, here's the thing too. Let me me talk to you as as a Christian. Christians have sometimes gone down the road of lacking moral authority because I've heard too many stories of people who struggled with their faith and struggled with the idea of going to church and being in a church simply because when they looked at other Christians, they had had bad experiences in the past with a Christian who said one thing but then did another. And because of that duplicity, it became a turnoff for people wanting to come to faith in God. So if you're in here today and, and that's you and that was your struggle, let me help you out real quick here. God is not people, okay? And you're not here for people, right? God is perfect and you can be for, here for him regardless of all of us imperfect, funky, weird people. But just know that as a Christian, you're still a standard bearer. And to the greatest ability and to the grace of God, you need to do everything with you can, within you that you can to maintain your moral authority so that when you share your faith and you invite somebody to church, because one of the most awkward moments in life is, because Livermore is not always you know, a big town, and you'll run into people, and you'll find people of like relationships and like connections. And then all of a sudden, you'll be like, hey, you know so-and-so, you know so-and-so? And then, of course, I'm the pastor, right? So like, yeah, yeah, they go to my church. And this is always a bad sign, like, they go to church? That's not what you want. Um, That means it's a surprise. Um, So what you want to do is push and fight and claw and work and earn all the moral authority that you possibly can because it matters in this life. And so anyway, let's keep moving here. Here's what I want you to do. As you think about these three things of character, sacrifice, time, of earning moral authority, I want to give you the the greatest sense of assurance that I possibly can. Because when I thought about, I thought about God. I thought, what is God really all about? Is that God says, I'm love. And God says, I love you. And that's got to be the biggest driving statement of God's political campaign. And it's one thing to say it, right? It's another thing to back it up and to prove it. And here's what I want you to see. Is that God just doesn't say, I love you. But he actually puts his son on full display and makes the ultimate sacrifice to say, no, 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 no. I, I know I said I love you. I want you to know that you can trust me that I love you. And the sacrifice of my son, not, not just in a painful, torturous death, but that he would take on all the sins of humanity, that there would be not just a physical exchange of pain, but a spiritual exchange of your sin going to him and his righteousness going to you 
That, that is the, or, or what Paul would say is this, is that God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is not just something he says he believes. This is something he puts on full display. You can trust your heavenly father. Your heavenly father has moral authority. And so in light of that, I think if Nehemiah, if we could somehow kind of take this story and take the life of Nehemiah and the message of Nehemiah and ask ourselves, what would he say to a future leader, to a future president? It would maybe go something like this. Dear next president, one of the many things we don't envy about your job is the public's fascination with approval ratings. For the next four years, you will be reminded on a daily basis of whether or not the citizens of this country approve of your performance. Our hope is that you will set your sights on something of far greater consequence than our approval. We want you to lead in such a way as to gain and maintain our respect. For that to happen, there must be consistency between what you say and what you do. This alignment will provide you with the moral authority necessary to lead and influence those who selected your name in November as well as those who did not. A significant portion of the population will not share your beliefs about how important issues should be addressed. And there's nothing you can do about that. But please don't do anything that would lead us to wonder if you really believe what you have said. You believe about those issues. Let's pray this morning. So God, I pray that every dad and every mom and every person who maybe has a title or position, has people underneath them at their job or in life, maybe they're a coach or an owner, I don't know. God, I pray that we would take the leadership message and that, God, we would ask ourselves, God, do I carry moral authority? Do I just carry a title? Do I just hang a paycheck over people's head? Or, God, can I lead in such a way that people would have respect and trust because of my integrity, because of my character, because of my sacrifice? God, help us as believers even, as Christians, to carry that mantle and say, God, help us to walk into this place and actually walk out what we say we believe. So that it would never be a shock or never be a surprise for someone to know that we are a Christ follower. May that be so represented in our, in our attitude, in our actions, in, our, in our, our speech. God, in every arena, God, let us honor you in the way that we live. And God, we do pray for our future president, no matter who that might be. God, that above all, they in their heart would turn towards you. That they would honor you and recognize you as the most high God. And that they would lead with incredible moral authority, God. That is our prayer today in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Can we give the Lord a big hand clap this morning? Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.